did you know, any considerations of, of sort of politics play into it? We want to get this thing passed, and uh, you know, we think that speed is uh, important. We want to do it right. We want to do it carefully, uh, but we don't want to tilt at windmills. We want to make sure that we're uh, getting uh, the best possible regulatory framework in place so that we're not repeating the mistakes of the past. Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm Adam Davidson in New York City. And I'm Alex Bloomberg, also in New York City. Today is Wednesday, June 17th. And that was President Obama at the top from an interview with John Harwood of CNBC and the New York Times. Not tilting at windmills. Yeah, I think we could... That could be the headline for today, uh-huh. not tilting at windmills. Today is the day we learn the details of President Obama's financial regulatory reform package. Uh, and, and just how many windmills he did not tilt at. And we'll explain why the big banks seem to, well, love it. And small banks and a lot of other people are not so enamored. But first, Adam, our Planet Money indicator. Today, it is 1.3%. That's how much prices have fallen by in the last year, according to the Labor Department's Consumer Price Index, the main measure of inflation or deflation. And we always say the biggest drop or the biggest whatever since whenever, blank. Today, it's the biggest drop since April 1950. So, Alex, is this... Finally, the onset of the dreaded deflation that everyone's so worried about. The deflationary specter that is haunting the uh, central bankers everywhere, their nightmares. Um, Let's hope not. A lot of the drop was caused by suddenly lower energy prices. And when you strip out energy prices and food prices, which also swing up and down a lot, um, the CPI, Consumer Price Index, actually rose in the last year. A modest bit by... 1.8%, which historically is well below normal inflation rates, but not deflation. Before we get to regulatory reform, uh, a quick correction. On last Friday's podcast, we played some tape in Farsi, and we said it was Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, the Iranian president. Now, one thing we have learned from many of the people we've interviewed during this financial crisis, the first thing when you've done something wrong is to point out who else to blame for it. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) And we have chosen to blame the Associated Press because they labeled the tape Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, although... It wasn't. It wasn't. And frankly, I don't know. Maybe we should have known. I don't know. Um, But uh, an alert listener did tell us that we had misidentified the man and we did some digging and confirmed indeed we had misidentified that tape. Here's what's strange. We've been trying to figure out who it was that the AP said was Mahmoud Ahmadinejad and uh, Laura Conaway and Caitlin Kenny have worked very hard. We still don't know who we put on our podcast on Friday. Yeah, it's a surprisingly difficult assignment, it turns out, trying to find out um, who a a politician from a Farsi-speaking nation where all cell phone contact has been cut out and you can't get it on the website. And and, yeah, it's hard to get get a hold of people. Adam, big day today. Yes, it was. The Obama administration presented an outline of how they want Congress to rewrite the rules of banking. And this is what everyone's been waiting for. And and by everyone, I mean finance geeks. And handful of people. A handful of people, but <laughs> us, certainly, we've been waiting for this moment. This is like since this crisis began in September, we've been hearing that we're going to get the new financial regulatory reform blueprint, how our financial system is going to be rewritten. So that this never happens again. So that this crisis never happens again, so the people who caused it are punished. 
And today the Obama administration gave us our first official glimpse. We've gotten some hints, some some balloons, some whatever you call it. Um, but uh, this is our first official on, you know, White House stationery. This is what we want to do. Uh, they didn't mean they didn't mean actual balloons. No, I, I meant trial trial balloons. You're right. You're Metaphorical right. balloons. I, exactly. I'm very, I'm very tired. <laughs> okay. Um, we'll be digging into a lot of this over the coming days, weeks, and months. Right. It's a big proposal, and there will be a lot of changes made in this proposal. So today we wanted to just give a bunch of quick first impressions. We called around to a bunch of different people we thought would have opinions, and, and we asked them what, what you think. And we got a really interesting, interesting range of views, which we're going to bring to you now. The first one up was the first guy I called this morning, Scott Talbot. He's, I think we can say he is our favorite bank lobbyist of, of the 100 leading financial firms in America. Right. <laughs> um, he's the chief lobbyist for the financial services round table. That means he represents the interest of the 100 largest financial services companies in America. And, you know, Talbot, by the nature of his job, by the nature of his being, is not someone who normally gets too excited about sweeping increases in regulation of the very firms that he has been hired to prevent from being too heavily regulated. Right. As a plant seeks the sun, so too a banking lobbyist fights regulation. Um, so you might think that this was an awful day for him. He actually didn't sound that sad. No. Uh, remember, Alex, you and I visited him a few months ago in his office in D.C. There's all this heated rhetoric back then about, you know, bankers are evil and we have to really, you know, we were hearing that from Congress people. We were hearing it all over the place. Talbot says that he's really happy no, no big re regulatory reform was passed back then. Um, it's always better to have calmer heads prevail. Secondly, we're not turning cartwheels here. There are a lot of – we do have a number of concerns with the proposal. Uh, there are – and the system now is going to be radically different. The key is not more regulation, Adam, but more effective regulation. And the proposals will change the system. They'll prevent this from happening again. But there are f reforms that make sense. To, to achieve that goal so both the consumer as well as the industry benefit. I have to say, Adam, he might not be doing cartwheels, but he sounds pretty happy. Definitely. I mean, he, <laughs> so, okay, so what he says is that overall, the 100 biggest financial services companies in America, when they look at the regulatory reform designed to fix the problem they caused, they like it. They, they feel like they can live with it. And uh, a few months ago, it didn't seem likely that whatever was going to come out of Congress and the White House would be anything that those big hundred firms would like. Although Talbot does say this is tough stuff for them, right? Let's hear what he says. The regulations that will be imposed on the institutions in the form of higher capital requirements, higher liquidity requirements, um, will prevent them from taking those risks or at least ensuring themselves against the risk of their own actions so that, one, there is a huge cost to setting aside capital, and that capital will sit there and, and prevent a failure. And if there is a failure, uh, then that capital will be there to absorb the losses. So I think there is a fundamental shift. There will be a fundamental shift in the way these institutions are regulated. Uh, and looking, and everyone will be on the alert for any action or product or behavior that could lead to a failure. So if you're going to argue that they're too big to fail, then they're also going to be subject, those institutions will be subject to an intense amount of scrutiny, regulation, and as well as additional capital requirements that will prevent them from failing. And then if they do, and this is key, they will either be allowed to fail 
or the capital, but the capital will be there to absorb those losses. So are you saying to me that your clients or your bosses, the top 100 financial services firms in America, look at this and say, boy, we're going to make significantly less money. We're going to have significantly less freedom. We're going to be in a significantly more constrained universe. And we're happy with it. We're exuberantly happy about it. <laughs> I don't know if I would call it exuberant, but the, the key here is to strengthen the system. It's not about more regulation. It's about more effective regulation. I think there is, is a, an economic realization that additional capital or new restrictions will, in the end, help strengthen the system and strengthen the industry as well as the companies. Uh, just as a side note, Adam, we're not going to call them systemic uh, or too big to fail anymore. They're going to be called tier one financial holding companies. Just as a, oh, that solves a problem. Yeah, well, that's just the new ter- the new terminology would be <laughs> oh, tier one financial. I didn't know companies. we were changing it from too big to fail to tier one financial holding companies. <laughs> that's, that's, we're fine. There will never be another financial well, but crisis. It's not, it's not too big to fail. The focus is going to be on systemic institutions, those whose failure could cause uh, a disaster or ripple effects through the economy and threaten to, to cause another recession or to bring down the system. They will be called tier one financial holding companies. So, Alex, I, I talked to another bank lobbyist who, unlike Scott Talbot, was was not happy. She was actually, like, painfully sad. Right. And so let's set this up. There's some, some context here. Scott Talbot, he works for gigantic financial services companies. So he works for the biggest of the biggest, the ones who most people think were at the heart of the crisis. They're the ones to blame. And in America, there's, like, 8,300 banks in the U.S., something like that. And, like, 8,200 of them are pretty small. They're, you know, less than two billion, most of them well less than a billion. They don't make it into Scott's group. They don't make it into Scott's group where I think, you know, you have to probably have to be worth a trillion or several hundred billion. So um, so in America, we have this very top heavy system. Diane Casey Landry is chief lobbyist for the American Bankers Association. And, and technically, she lobbies for all 8,300 banks, the small ones and the big ones. But if you know her, and you and I have gotten to know her a little bit, you know that her heart is clearly with the small guys. This was a crisis that was created by both large institutions and institutions outside of the banking sector, outside of the regulated banking sector. And the solution that is being proposed is one that will damage and harm the thousands of community banks out there that never made a single toxic subprime mortgage or did anything wrong. And in fact, if anything, stepped in to fill the void when the large institutions uh, pulled out of the market. And so this proposal really targets the smaller institutions and really will cause a lot of problems for them and threaten their ability to go forward. To me, Casey Landry just sounded so sad the whole time I talked to her. Uh, You know, she's saying like, her buddies, the small bankers, they did everything right. They didn't like get too far into the bubble. They were prudent then. They were responsible now. They didn't get, get into these fancy derivatives. They never touched a CDS. They didn't you know, create structured offshore investment vehicles or anything like that. She says they should be rewarded now, not punished. And she says that these new rules are going to force a lot of those good, hardworking small banks to shut down. And at the same time, those big banks, the ones Talbot works for, the ones who should not be rewarded, she sees this as basically it's not a reward, but it's not a punishment either for them. They're doing fine. 
And there's a particular part of the Obama proposal that she doesn't like, and we're going to get into some of these different parts now as we go forward. But one good example in her mind of how of how this proposal hurts the small guys is is this this thing called the Consumer Financial Products Safety Agency, which the Obama plan calls on Congress to create. Right. It, it, and, and at first blush, you can look at that and say, sure, that's great. You know, no brainer. We, you know, we got the Consumer Product Safety Commission. They make sure you can't sell a toaster that'll burn down your house. So here's the financial products equivalent. We'll make sure you can't buy a mortgage that will force you to lose your house. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, right. The agency would cover products created by everyone from Wall Street hedge funds to sleazy mortgage brokers to the small community bank down your block. It, they would all be sort of regulated under this agency. So we hear that and we might think, oh, safety. She hears that. She starts counting up the dollars. So, so she looks at that and says, new agency. That means... Every bank has to hire new lawyers to deal with the agency. They have to hire new compliance officers. They have to overhaul their accounting procedures. And, and she says that that might make sense for big banks that cause the crisis and who can spread the costs around a lot of businesses. But these small banks, most of them only make a few hundred thousand dollars or less a year in profit. And they can't afford all this. They're getting taxed based basically for the mistakes of others. So basically she's saying – what this proposal is ignoring is that for the last few decades, most banks, not the big ones, but most banks have been well-run and well-regulated. It says that the culture and the expertise of the agencies doesn't exist so they can enforce consumer protection laws, yet they overlook the fact that consumer compliance exams have been going on for 30 years. Then two paragraphs later, they say, well, to start up the new agency that they just said didn't do a good job, they're going to take all the people from the existing agencies. Well, that, it, <laughs> first of all, you have a long-standing process. And we also really don't think that you can separate consumer protection from safety and soundness because the biggest consumer protection is to have a safe and sound enterprise. I mean, you want a safe and sound bank, and then you're going to go in with the enforcement of all the consumer laws. But you do need to ensure that those consumer laws are enforced by people outside of the insured depository institution, whether you're in a mortgage bank or an investment bank or finance company or a pawn shop. I mean, go through all the different enterprises that are out there today. And I don't read how this is going to get there. So you've got banks that for the last 30 years have been having compliance examinations. They're suddenly being told they're going to have another agency that has to be funded that's, that's going to take away the ability to offer products to customers. We have the government telling you what kind of products that you, you can offer. I like that they propose creating a new financial products. Uh, regulator. Continuing on with our national tour of responses to the Obama administration's regulatory reform proposal, we come now to the U.S. Congress. This is Representative Brad Miller, a Democrat from North Carolina, and he likes the exact part of the administration's plan that Casey does not like. Um, he thinks it addresses one of the key causes of the crisis. The initial failing in the whole financial crisis was that consumers were uh, borrowers were trapped in debt they couldn't pay, and eventually that becomes a problem for the lender, too. Mm -hmm. um, and financial innovation became a pretext for just writing uh, contracts that were worse and worse for consumers and better and better for the, uh, for the lenders. What do you say that, to the people? The, the people who fear regulation, I think, have, have a principled worry, which is that what we're going to do is we're going to over-regulate certain areas that don't need to be regulated. Um, and, 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 and yes, Targeted regu regulation is actually is needed, but we don't want to like we don't want to just blanket everything. And I think people who worry about the consumer products that that uh, that part of the bill are saying mortgage lenders, fly by night mortgage lenders, they were 
entirely enabled by the fact that Wall Street was bundling these things and passing them on. And if you fix the problem up there, then, you know, the sort of sleazy mortgage brokers will, will take care of themselves. They won't have a market to, to peddle their products to. The result of all this has been so catastrophic. I think we ought to page, take a page from NASA's book mm-hmm. and have redundant systems. Uh-huh. Uh, we shouldn't just fix one thing. We should, we should fix all the things that we can tell went wrong. And certainly at the front end, uh, the, the debt that uh, borrowers got trapped in that they couldn't pay, uh, that was undoubtedly part of the problem, and that has to be fixed. Now, the, the industry is, is wringing their hands about stifling financial innovation. Financial innovation is not a cure for cancer. It is just writing new contract language. Uh, and the contracts they wrote uh, made more and more money for the industry by, make, by having contracts that were better and better for the industry and worse and worse for consumers. It is fine with me to stifle some of that. So, Adam, let's, let's hang out in Congress for, for another second, because I talked to another representative, Republican John Campbell of California, and he brought up a se- another concern that we've heard from people, and this is about a second sort of element of the Obama proposal. It's this idea of a systemic risk regulator. So, so the big idea is none of the regulators saw this coming, in part because they weren't looking for th- the systemic problem because there was no systemic risk regulated. They weren't looking at the whole system, basically. Yeah. E- each regulator was either looking at the little corner they regulated, the banks they regulated, or the insurance companies. Or the product they or regulated. Or the product they regulated. They weren't looking at the system as a whole. Um, they weren't looking at how if this one bank falls, it hurts these 10 banks, and then that hurts 100 other banks. Um, so a lot of people are saying we need a regulator who who does that, who, who doesn't just look at individual banks or who actually doesn't necessarily look at individual banks, but looks at the whole system. How, how healthy is it? This would be the so-called systemic risk regulator. But there are lots of questions about how you implement this idea. Who is the systemic risk regulator? How do you ensure that he or she has enough power to rein in risk? How do you ensure that he or she sees the risk? Um, how are they insulated from the temptation to use their power for political or financial gain? Where does this person live or this agency? Do you give this power to an already existing institution or do you create a new institution that houses a systemic risk regulator? Well, the Obama administration in their new plan made a choice. The systemic risk regulator will be the Federal Reserve. Um, It's a little bit of controversial choice. John Campbell, who finds a lot to like in the proposal, by the way, doesn't like that. I don't support that um, because of two reasons. I don't think we ought to make the federal... Uh, reserve into the all-powerful, all-knowing Oz, and I'm afraid that this might do that. Second, the Federal Reserve's primary mission uh, is to manage monetary policy in order to create stable and low inflation and, and, uh, and, and growth in the economy. And we really shouldn't distract them from that mission too much to get them too far into the regulatory space, and I think this does this. So, Alex, you remember those blurry days last September and October in the heart of this crisis when it seemed like the whole world was collapsing and you and I were working around I the I don't clock. remember them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, there was one something that for me was like actually kind of exciting. There was this world of economics and finance professors who were hanging out with each other. And it was specifically like Nouriel Roubini and Charles Calamiris. It was left-wingers and right-wingers, libertarians and more like Keynesian government interventionists. And they were just spending a lot of time together just hanging out and dreaming up an ideal financial 
system. So they were like, wow, this is so bad that they're going to have to rewrite the rules from the bottom up. And they were dreaming up what that should look like. It was kind of an actually an exciting time if you're one of these people. It seemed like maybe, just maybe, we would actually have fundamental reform of how our economic system works because, you know, there's all these built-in inefficiencies where regulation has been layered on top of regulation, which has been... It's, it's a system that nobody would design from the ground up, basically. Um, and so this is what they're saying is, like, here's our chance to design it from the ground up. It doesn't have to be partisan. It would be sort of just based on fundamentals, technocratic, solid. So Charles Calamiris who's at Columbia University, I called him to see, all right, you guys dream big. Now here's the reality. What what do you think? I'd have to say that this is a big disappointment. Charles Calamiris is a real libertarian, and his complaint here is that this is too little regulation. It goes too (laughs) easy on the banks. Wow. That's so strange that you have have somebody who's known as a a left-wing liberal president coming out with a proposal that the libertarian is saying doesn't have enough regulation in it. But, you know, he does say there's too little in some parts, but there's too much in other parts. There's too much regulation in other parts. Right. And he hasn't suddenly found a love affair with regulation, I should <laughs> right. note. Um, so, so Calamaris, when I was talking to him, he listed the core causes of this crisis. And he said this proposal just doesn't address too many of the core causes. The basic issue has been forget which regulatory agency has what job or what power. The problem has been that the banks were able to take on huge amounts of risk and hide that risk from their investors and from the government. Right. And he says if this is all implemented, they'll still be able to do that. Up to this point, I'd sort of given uh... – uh, Summers and Geithner kind of a B plus in what they were saying and doing, and I haven't written them off yet. But uh, this white paper is, despite some good ideas, uh, is a highly politicized document, very selective in its diagnosis. Uh, solutions are typically poorly conceived, and it's horribly written. So uh, I have to say, I think we can do a lot better than this, and we will do a lot better than this. Um, I'm surprised that it, it's an obviously rushed job. And I'm surprised that uh, they produced it um, this way. It's, uh, I think it's embarrassing. Clearly, a lot of viewpoints out there. And this is just the initial proposal. Congress now has to take this and turn it into an actual bill that people can vote on. The House Financial Services Committee, upon which Brad Miller and John Campbell, who you heard from earlier, both serve, will be one of the committees in Congress taking the lead on that. One phrase that I think you will hear constantly, I've already said it, I think, 24 times today, (laughs) the devil will be in the details. The devil is in the details. And there is going to be a lot of money spent trying to influence those details. A lot of devilish cash out there. (laughs) Right. And I talked to Brad Miller about this intense lobbying effort that's going to be focused on this legislation. And he said that on the one hand, the public is very upset at what happened. So there's perhaps more political will to change things than there would be in the past. But on the other hand, the issues being debated, derivatives and systemic risk and capital and leverage ratios, they're just so arcane. But it is going to be very hard to tell from some distance whether we really did something that was cosmetic or something that really was a fix. Uh, And that is where the power of the industry is going to uh, play a huge role. And it's it's going to be, you know, again, talking points on cable television. You know, what to believe. This is, you know, uh, it's going to be very hard for the American uh, people to tell. Mm-hmm. Right. So, like, what, what is actually a reform and what just looks right. like a reform? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that um, that there will be plenty of members who um, who say, well, you know, this will do enough. This, this little thing will do enough. 
and um, other members will uh, say, no, that, probably like me, for instance, will say, no, that's not nearly enough. We need to go much further than that. Uh, and it's going to be very hard to tell from a distance what's really um, what the debate is really about. Mm-hmm. It, it's going to be a very complicated debate. So we'll keep digging and trying to make sense of this for you. It's going to be a very busy few months in Congress. Yeah, Alex, and just one final note today. You know, at Planet Money, our, our, our core area of focus is economics. And today feels much more about politics than economics. This proposal is clearly not anybody's ideal economic system, not even President Obama who proposed it. I mean, he said so himself. But, you know, in the, in the real world, this is a lot of times where economic policy is in, implemented in the political process, this ugly political process. And depending on your perspective, it's a, either disgusting sort of sausage making or it's the democratic process at work. That's all for today. We'll have lots of updates and analysis on the regulatory reform and other things at our blog, npr.org slash money. I'm Adam Davidson. And I'm Alex Bloomberg. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.